Let us pray. Father, I pray now that you would sanctify these feeble human words by your spirit to the honor of Christ's name. Lord, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, may Christ also now be lifted up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, just to point out to you that for the next few weeks, the lectionary has assigned to us readings from Hebrews. So I'm beginning us on that path. But we're starting right in the middle or toward the end. Uh, Hebrews 11 is what we are considering tonight as a word for us this evening. Now, is it just me? Or is life extra hard these days? There is seemingly no good news on the news. If you want good news, don't look at Apple News. Don't look at the app. Don't check the New York Times. Don't turn on the TV. There just seems to be no good news. If it's a housing crisis, the stock market is in turmoil, someone has been shot, political leaders are meeting to assess some disastrous situation, as my grandmother used to say, if it's not one thing, it's two, right? The Zika virus is spreading, and now it's happening in mosquitoes that are from Florida. People at a concert in Paris are getting shot. Then some other random event in Munich, Germany just happened not too long ago. Or take the recent events in Orlando. People at a gay bar, a man coming in late at night to shoot them. African Americans getting shot at. Then in Dallas, in retaliation, several police officers are shot at. Then I listen to the conversations on social media. Just listen to the conversations. People are beginning to get hopeless. Where is our country gone? And, and we feel like our voice is not being heard. Well, that's not even beginning to get to my own personal frustrations. I don't know about you, but I'm a textbook case for an identity crisis. I feel like I'm getting old. I've done so little with my life. I always wanted to be a GQ model, but I just have not lived up. I thought I would work on Wall Street or at a big four accounting firm in New York City, but that's never happened. My work nowadays can get so frustrating. I just want to go to bed, take a nap. My relationships seem to stink. Sometimes my life is too mundane and Friday comes around and I go home and I think, is this all I have to do on a Friday night? Where's my wife, my kids? Where's the beautiful home that's supposed to have a white picket fence in front of it? And then I had the bright idea recently of trying to get into soccer. That is, attempting to get into soccer. I think every time I go to kick that I'm looking like David Beckham or Lionel Messi, but I can tell you that is not the case. I will not find my identity in soccer. And then as a Christian, is life not even more difficult? I'm so much worse a sinner than I ever could imagine. I disappoint people. I say things I ought not to say. I act like I not, ought not to act. Then when I begin to get feeling sorry for myself, it seems like I hear of one more person with cancer or a terminal illness. Are you with me at all? Doesn't life seem to be just so rough? There's no good news, and is the bad news ever going to stop? And then I'll just think, if only, if only I could get to this place, then everything would be okay, right? We all think that. Well, let me ask you, 
What are your hopes? What about you? What are your hopes? What are your fears? What are the anxieties that drive you? To what or to whom are you looking for to provide you with salvation? In the midst of such uncertainties of life, the book of Hebrews is really practical for us. The book of Hebrews is pressing us here as God's people this evening. He is prompting and pressing us to look to Jesus once again this evening. As he is always doing, the Spirit is taking the Scriptures and he is conforming us more and more into the image of Christ and he is confirming our identities as children of God the Father. The Spirit is again deepening our identity in the triune God. One of the things that Hebrews also, though, brings to our attention, though, is while it's telling us about our identity as children of the Father and as people made new in Jesus, one of the things it brings to our attention is that life is going to be really tough, especially as a Christian. As a Christian, you will encounter suffering. A few verses before the passage James just read for us, Hebrews 10.32 says this, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Then chapter 10 and verse 34, listen, you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. And why did the Christians do that? Those Christians that Hebrews was being written to? It says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Because their story was going somewhere, because Jesus was dead and now lives to triumph, because they are pilgrims on the way to a better homeland that God has prepared for them, they could endure till the end. They had a patient, enduring faith. So can we clear the air just now? Can we clear the air? Anyone who says to you that the Christian life is going to be cupcakes and roses and the primrose path, they're either misguided or just lying to you. If Joel Osteen says to you, you can and you will, or if he says to you that every day is a, is a Friday, well, actually, every day is a Monday morning, right? And uh, you can't and you won't. That's the reality. And so I feel as if it's my pastoral duty in the moment, since we are here in Hebrews, to prepare you all that life is not going to be easy, that if you haven't yet experienced it, there is going to come a day when you will encounter trials and suffering, whether it be physical, financial, emotional. And it's so sad to me because um, people I know who grew up in the church thought that the gospel was a panacea to all of life's problems. They thought that the gospel was a cure-all to all of life's problems, and then they realized that they were mistaken. See, American religion, that's the religion that we all are steeped in in our country. American religion speaks much about being happy and feeling good and being at peace with yourself, but not we Christians. No, we Christians are the community that gathers around the good news of what God has done, that God himself has united himself to mankind in Jesus Christ, that man who was dead and who now lives to triumph the good news. 
And this Jesus Christ, who was dead and now lives, he is taking all of history to its appointed end. Hebrews 11 is really practical for us because it shows us that there will be struggles and there will be temptations. And it's pretty honest that Christians are living in a world that is messed up. It is not as it ought to be that the Christian will encounter suffering and that in the midst of that, you are going to be tempted to look away from someone else, to someone else from Jesus. You will be tempted to do that. So, all that said, when we get to Hebrews 11, when it says, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, etc., etc., when it lists all these people out, it's not asking us to be like those good guys over there. It's not acting a, asking us to be perfect and moral people like those people. And it certainly isn't a message for us to think happy thoughts and cover over life's problems. No, these are our fellow saints in the Lord who are signposts pointing us, pointing us to that city that God has prepared for us where Jesus Christ reigns. They are signposts pointing us to Jesus. So the message tonight is one that actually wrests control from our iron grips, where we try to control our lives and make it better, trying to get us to get out of ourselves and to look to Jesus once again. If Hebrews is calling us to be like Abraham, Moses, Noah, etc., it is calling us to do only this, to give up on ourselves and to trust in God, have hope in God, have a patient, enduring faith in God. He has acted once in history, and he will certainly do it again. Get outside yourself and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. So here's the reality. Life is not easy. Life is not a cool spring day where you drink mint juleps on the beach. As we walk through life, We are to look to Jesus, and the promise from God calls us out of ourselves. It calls us out of ourselves to say yes to God's promise, while the world around us, in various fashion, while the world around us calls us to say, no, I do not have hope in God. We are pilgrims on the way to a better country, And when we get to Hebrews 11, we see that there are other pilgrims who have gone before us. We see Abel thrown off balance and yet standing upright. We hear his yes while the world around him cries out to him, no, do not hope in Jesus. We see Enoch thrown off balance and yet standing upright. We hear his yes while the world around him cries out, No, do not hope in Jesus. We see Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, the people of Israel, David even. We see them and hear them say yes. They're thrown off balance, yet standing upright. We hear their yes, while the world around them tells them to say no, do not hope in Jesus. I'm assuming most of you are aware of the threat of ISIS if you've been paying attention in the news, and I'm assuming that most of you have seen that there have been, um, there's been persecution against Christians over on that side of the world. Here's a famous picture. 
21 Coptic Christians about to be martyred on the beach by ISIS members. Here we see 21 Christians thrown off balance, yet standing upright. We hear their, yes, I believe in God's promise, while the world over there cries out to them, no, do not hope in Jesus. A Chinese Christian wrote this week about the future of Christianity in China. He says this, long quote, don't go to sleep on me. In China, against home churches that refuse to cooperate, the government has waged a large-scale cleansing campaign in an eastern coastal province of Zhejiang, particularly in the city of Wanchu, known as China's Jerusalem, where 15% of the population is Christian. In two years, more than 200 churches in Zhejiang have been demolished, over 2,000 crosses removed. In Hochu City on August 7, 2015, exactly one year ago, migrant workers hired by government officials flipped over the parish car. Then the police came. They arrested the pastor, intimidated parishioners, sequestered church grounds, and pepper-sprayed protesters. They charged into the church with dogs. Buddhist monks and Taoist priests hired by the officials came to chant and perform rites in front of the church. Dozens, including the church attorney, were detained and interrogated. And yet in response to that, this Chinese brother says this, God let me live to witness and testify for him through writing. And for the 1.4 billion souls in my homeland, I shall continue, I do so in great hope. A growing faith in Christ strengthened by the bonds of fellowship in church life is breathing new life into my country. Neither the dead hand of communism, nor the cynical imitation of Confucianism, nor capitalism, nor democracy, nor any earthly thing will determine the fate of my land. Christianity is China's future. Here we see a Chinese Christian thrown off balance, yet standing upright. We hear his yes, while the world around him cries out to him, no, do not hope in Jesus. A Christian professor in France was interviewed on the future of France in light of all the attacks they've had. He said this about the turbulence of his country. The French are exhausted, but they are first of all perplexed, lost. The interviewer then asked him, has French culture a future? Has Christianity, which is caught between Islam and a militant secularism, does it have a future in France? Will Western civilization continue to sustain Europe? Or are we witnessing a slow abandonment of Western ideals? The professor's reply was this. We do not know when the trumpet will sound. I can only answer by hope. Christian hope is based on faith. I believe that amid the crumbling of Western civilization which has begun, the supernatural character of the church will become paradoxically more and more visible. The hatred of the world will turn against it more and more clearly. More clearly than ever, the fate of all will depend on the little flock of Christians. Here we see a French Christian thrown off balance, and yet standing upright. We hear his yes, I believe in the promises of God, while the world cries out to him, no, do not place your hope in Jesus. All of these people 
All of these people are lining the racetrack as we are running to the better country that God has prepared for us. They're reminding us of God's promise and of his goodness and of his grace. And they're pointing us onward. They are signposts. Abraham and Moses and the 21 martyred Christians and the Chinese Christian and the Frenchman. They are signposts pointing us to the victory in Jesus Christ. They tell us of the triumph of Jesus. And that God is delivering us over to a better country, a better homeland, a better city where we will be his people and God will be our God. The story is going somewhere because Jesus was dead, but Jesus also now lives to triumph. We American Christians don't face that threat, at least right now. It could be that in a few years' time, in a few generations from now, we could face a threat like we just saw in that picture. The world cries out to our African brothers and our Chinese brothers, etc. It calls out to them, no, do not hope in Jesus by using force and violence. But in the U.S., life is happy and glib. We can go on our merry way, and in so many different ways, the world here cries out to us, no, do not hope in Jesus. So what about us? What about you? How does the world around us cry out to us, no, do not hope in Jesus? What about us? Where will we place our trust and our faith and our hope? Will it be in Hillary Clinton? Will it be in Donald Trump? Will it be in a third-party candidate? Will Will it be in a progressive organization? Or will it be in the good old days of the America gone that's left us? Will it be in some nostalgia? Will it be in a medical cure? Will it be in a sizable retirement? Where will we, this community, place our trust? We have heard God's promise to us once again, and we have seen the saints that have gone before us pointing us on the way, pointing us to a better city where God will be our God and we will be his people. My friends, God is faithful even when we are faithless. In Jesus Christ, God has told us that he is taking the story somewhere. He is setting all things to right. He is making all things new in Jesus Christ. And he will raise even our dead bodies to life. My friends, Jesus was dead, but he now lives to triumph. And because Jesus now lives... This current world order is passing away. And God has prepared for us a city where we will be his people and God will be our God. There will be a real community of love in a real city where God will give us as his people real drink and real food. Where we will one day worship the lamb and gather around a real banquet table. That day is coming and because we have heard this good news that Jesus was dead and now lives to triumph, because we have heard that good news in the midst of whatever life throws your way, whether it be physical persecution or financial stress or health issues, we can ask, how long, O Lord, how long till you return? The Scottish theologian Thomas Torrance said this in one of his sermons on the book of Revelation. Listen closely, church. 
The Christian church, even in her tribulation, is the place where the king reigns and holds his court. The king who is the first and the last, and who has the keys of life and death. Let us never forget this supreme fact. Jesus Christ has come on earth to do a tremendous deed which will reverse history. He is here to break the power of evil and to set the prisoners free. He is here to stop principalities and powers, to nail them to his cross, and to triumph over them openly. The supreme act of judgment in the cross remains as the abiding force to determine all history. And every crisis, every crisis in human affairs falls under its action and reflects its meaning. Let us make no mistake about it. The cross of Jesus Christ is still in the field. Jesus Christ still holds the sovereign initiative in history. No doubt the fire rages in the world, but in the heart of the fire there is one like unto the Son of God, and out of the heart of it there comes the shout of a king. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that the lectionary assigned to us Hebrews, Psalm 33, and Luke, the Gospel. I love it because the message is all the same to us. It overlaps so well. Can you flip again in your bulletin to the psalm reading that uh, James just led us in? Look at verse 17 of Psalm 33 right there. Here's the message to us. Verse 17. The horse is a vain hope for deliverance. For all its strength it cannot save. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him, on those who wait upon his love, to pluck their lives from death and to feed them in time of famine. Adventers, may we be the people who respond in faith as the psalmist does there in verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Indeed, our heart rejoices in him, for in his holy name we put our trust. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us as we have put our trust in you. My friends, what do you fear? What are the anxieties that drive you each and every day? Is it loneliness, poverty, perhaps death? And where do you place your faith and your trust and your hope? Where is that thing you are looking to to provide you for salvation? Have you, like most of my fellow 20-somethings, begun to feel a sense of hopelessness in this world? Don't fear. Only believe. Come. Come see Jesus. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet. Come see the one who was dead and who now lives to triumph. Come to Jesus. Look to him, the author of life. Come and drink from the water of life that cannot be bought. God's free and undeserved grace. Come and drink from that fountain. Come and partake of his goodness. Amen.